We're going to study Hebrews chapter 7 and 8. Um, but it starts in chapter 2, an introduction to 7 and 8. A lot of reading today, so bear with me. Hang out. Make sure you follow along. We're going to start at Hebrews chapter 2. We'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word and this time to gather together. Lord, we thank you for the praise report. It's always a blessing to hear of just the wonderful things that you're doing in the lives of your children. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bless this time that we have together. Go before us and open up our eyes and our ears to hear and to see what your spirit says to the church this evening. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, you have a first covenant and then a second covenant or a first testament and the new testament we can depict the old covenant or the first covenant or the first testament to first 39 books if you will the old testament um what can you tell me about the first covenant that god made with the nation of israel what what do you know about the first covenant So sacrifices were offered. I find it interesting that they were offered right after the giving of the law. Whoa, if you're giving me the standard, all I got to do is keep the standard, right? If you give me these Ten Commandments, all I got to do is do those perfectly and woohoo. Well, no. What came right after the announcement of the commandments? The sacrifices. Why? Because we can't keep those commandments, can we? Can't live a perfect life in your own strength. And so the first commandment, or the, not the first commandment, the first testament, the first um, covenant, it was a relationship between God and the nation of Israel. God had his part, the nation of Israel had their part, and it was based on the law. God, knowing that nobody could keep the law, um, made a way for them to be able to approach God, because no unholy person can approach God. You have to offer a sacrifice to be able to approach God. And so there's going to be a contrast between the old and the new, the first and the second or the last, um, whether it's the covenant, the testament, or uh, just looking at the first system. Okay, so we're going to look at, and that's kind of what we're looking at. Um, In the book of Hebrews, we know that the nation of Israel had come out of, or these Jewish believers had come out of, Judaism, and they're now in a relationship with God through Jesus and the cross, but the temptation is their desire to go back to what's comfortable, their traditions. Think about it. I mean, think about somebody coming out of Judaism and the rich traditions that they had, just smelling the incense in the temple, knowing that on Shabbat, on Sabbath, they're going to the temple, knowing that that's what your family's doing and all those ties that you have, those connections that you have, those traditions that you grew up with. And so now you're coming out of that system and there's something new and there's a temptation for them to go back to the old and the writer to the Hebrews is trying to show them there's no comparison. (laughs) Why would you even want to go back? Man, if we're going to contrast the old With the new, the first, with the last, there's not even a comparison. And so we've seen a lot of comparisons. Jesus 
is compared to the prophets. Jesus is compared to the angels. Jesus is compared to Moses. Jesus is compared to the priest, the high priest. Jesus here, we're going to see, is compared to Melchizedek. And it's more of a type, and we're going to see all of that. So that's kind of what we're looking at. Any questions so far? Have I confused you enough? Yes. Yes. No. No. Yes. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. He's writing in Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, in all these things, he had, speaking of Jesus, to be made like his brethren. So he's fully man, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation. Propitiation is a big word for the sacrifice that appeases the wrath of a deity for the sins of the people verse 18 for in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to aid those who are tempted and so there's a contrast between the priesthood and jesus if you were born under whose original family could you be a priest anybody know aaron Aaron. so it starts with aaron whose brother was aaron moses So Aaron, or the Aaronic priesthood, is out of what tribe? Levi. So you had to be a Levite under the order of Aaron. So Aaron's the first one that gets to be the high priest. His sons would be priests that would serve in the temple. And then once Aaron died, you'd have a new high priest. And then other people under the tribe of Levi would serve in the temple as priests. But only one high priest, okay? So there's this contrast and comparison, contrast and comparison. And we're going to see that. Jump over to Hebrews chapter 3 with me. Hebrews chapter 3. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, speaking of Jesus again, and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was faithful in all his house. So there's a comparison to Moses. Moses is faithful in all his house. They're saying Jesus is high priest. Notice apostle and high priest is faithful in all that he did. Okay, jump over to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. We're gonna look at verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If we're making a contrast between men individuals who were born out of the tribe of Aaron or Aaronic. They were in that ancestors of Aaron, born on the tribe of Levi, and they were able to serve as priests in the temple. There's a shortcoming. It's kind of like a, a pastor. Does a pastor know exactly how you feel, exactly how you struggle, exactly what you're going through, exactly how hard it is for you, or, or, or just all of that? No. Why? Human limited he, he might be able to relate he might be able to say yeah i kind of did that once stubbed my toe yeah that hurts huh but if you're going through something deep a lot of times 
man, if you contrast that to Jesus, Jesus can relate. Jesus knows. Jesus knows the depth of your pain, the depth of your confusion, the depth of your hurt, because it's on a whole different order. It's on a whole different level. And so he's just, he's just trying to help them see, look, if we're just going to compare men to Jesus, come on. These are men. These were guys that God, they just happen, so happened to be born under this tribe. So that, that was their, what was their, what were their credentials, if you will? What was their, you know, qualifications? Yeah, born under the right people, you got the job, right? And so these guys are tempted to go back to that system, to go back and put themselves under that system. And the writer is trying to show them, do you guys even realize what you have? Here, let me try to help you understand what you have. Jump over to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We would look at verses 1 through 11, but we're not going to look at all of them. All of them are the context for what we're looking at, but I'm just going to read you the last two or three verses. So Hebrews chapter 5, and I'll pick it up at verse... uh, Let's start at verse uh, 5 because we're quoting... So Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 5, because all of it, 1 through 11, is the context for high priest, right? So also as Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Uh-oh. So here in chapter 5, we have this guy Melchizedek mentioned. Very, very... Um, mysterious guy back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 14, only three verses, 18, 19, and 20, mention this guy Melchizedek. When is he mentioned? Well, five kings set themselves up against these other set of kings. They end up battling and they take Lot. Abraham's what? Lot is Abraham's what? Nephew. And they take him captive. And Abraham takes his 318 or so servants and hands them a bow and arrow, or I don't know what the heck he gives them, right? A little pea shooter, I don't know, something. And he goes and fights these five kings and wins. What? That's crazy. God must have been on his side or something, right? So he wins and he gets his nephew back. And he takes the spoil from these five nations and Sodom and Gomorrah, Right? He takes all these spoils and then he meets up with this guy, Melchizedek. He's the high priest of who? He's God's high priest. Meets up with this guy, Melchizedek. Three little verses, 18, 19, and 20. He meets up with him and he gives him a tithe of all the spoil, a tenth, 10% of everything that he got. And what does Melchizedek greet him and meet him with? Bread and wine. What is that? Whoa, communion? Jesus had communion last supper? Trippy, trippy dude, right? He's not mentioned till 400 years later in the book of Psalms. So you have three verses in Genesis. Abraham, kings, all this battle, meets Melchizedek. Melchizedek offers him bread and wine. Abraham gives him a tenth or a tithe of all the spoils. You don't, goes off the scene. Bye, Melchizedek. See you later. Okay, bye-bye. We don't hear from him for 400 years. Psalm 110, verse 4. It's quoted right here. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, verse 4. 
pretty crazy. Going on, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Interesting little verse there. And having been perfected, he came, uh, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So back in verse, in chapter five, way back, we're in seven, way back in chapter five, Melchizedek is mentioned, but Hebrews, you guys are hard of hearing. Your hearing is going dull. You're not sharp to hear. We're going to have to take you backwards before we can talk to you about this high priest and what Jesus really did. And so it's almost like a parenthetical from verse, um, after verse, what was that, 11? So from verse 12 on all the way to chapter 7, we have this digression, okay? Jump over to chapter 6. We'll look at two verses, 19 and 20. Hebrews chapter 6, 19 and 20. It's mentioned one more time before he gets into it, and it's closing out chapter 6. So it's an introduction to chapter 6. Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So that is going to now set up chapter 7 and 8. Chapter 7 and 8 is all about Melchizedek and what this is about. Okay, we're going to roll through it, and then I'm going to apply it when we get to the end. I'll stop momentarily. If you have a question about any verses we're reading, 7 and 8, because that's a lot of verses. If you have a question about anything I'm reading, just say, hey, whoa, 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 time out, whoa, what, what is that exactly, or what does that mean? Okay. So now we're getting to the Bible study. All of that was introduction to chapter 7 and 8. Hebrews chapter 7. For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, which is what Melchizedek means, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, Anybody know where Salem comes from? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Salem. So it, many believe that it is a, the city before Jerusalem. Okay. Um, meaning king of peace. Verse 3. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So, some people believe that Melchizedek is a theophany. What is a theophany? Theophany. Theo, God. Ophany, appearance of. So, a theophany is an appearance of God in the Old Testament. And any appearance of God in the Old Testament is what? Really a Christophany. Because Jesus is the one that we can see, right? The Father is spirit we can't see. The Father, Holy Spirit, we can't see. If we're going to see God, it's through the incarnation, Jesus a pre-incarnate Jesus, if you will, okay? Um, I'm not sure where I land. I gotta be honest with you. Whether Melchizedek is a type of Jesus, because everywhere in here, it's a type, a type, a type, a type, a type. And so, um, I don't know. I mean, 
don't know if it matters whether you think he's a Christophany, a Theophany, Jesus, or if he just recognizes it as a type. Verse four. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. Is Abraham a big deal in the mind of Jews? Not only the Jews, but the whole world. He's the father of the what? Faith. For Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Right? Judaism believes that the promised son was Isaac, as does Christianity. Islam believes it was Ishmael, which it's not. It's clear in the book of Galatians that it was Isaac, right? But nonetheless, he's the father of the three monotheistic religions of the world. What is monotheistic? One God. Mono, one, theist, theistic God. Okay? There's only three monotheistic religions in the world. Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. You're learning a lot? Am I giving it to you? Should have had notes. Verse 5. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. They're human beings. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. What is he saying? He's saying something very simple. These are human beings and the lesser is blessed by the greater. Abraham is paying tithes to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. They're elevating who? Abraham. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who's getting the tithes? Who's receiving the tithes? Melchizedek. Interesting little dynamic again. Just he's trying to show them be careful with wanting to go back to something that were pictures and types. That's really what it's coming down to. These were shadows. Why aren't you looking to the substance? You have the substance in front of you. You have the substance to worship. Why would you go back to the system? Okay, we do it too. We do it in the form of legalism. We do it in the form of asceticism, what it looks like from the outward appearance. I got it together. Outward appearance. Everything's from the outward. While inside we're struggling and we can't even be real and genuine. God wants us to be real and genuine. We have Jesus as our high priest. We can go into the veil at any time. What is the veil? The veil was torn from top to bottom, right? To give us access into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. We don't have to pretend. We have Jesus and his presence. Verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. Anybody ever serve under, what, what tribe did Jesus come from? Tri- Lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah. Is that a different tribe than Levi? Yes. Yes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no Judaism, uh, or what is it? Judah, what would it be? Aaronic, Levitical. I don't know what Judah would be. Judean Judean priesthood. It's all Levi, right? 
Whoa, another, huh, interesting. Verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which the tribe Moses spoke, nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, quotes Psalm 110, verse four again, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. Notice this next line. It is crazy. For the law made nothing perfect. Tell that to a Seventh-day Adventist. Tell that to a Messianic believer who have chosen to place themselves once again under the law to create holiness. Now, the law is good or bad? The law's good, but is the law what makes us holy? God makes us holy. Our righteousness is found in Jesus. And, and at the beginning of the book, do you remember? We're supposed to run to rest. We're supposed to strive. If there's one thing we're going to work at, we're going to work at. Oh, it's finished. It's finished. He did it for me. He loves me just the way I am. I got to work at that. I got I to gotta strive at that. If I'm going to work at something, wow, all I got to do is just rest in that. Man, this feels kind of good. Wow, Jesus, man, I don't have to do anything. No, work at rest. Strive at resting in the finished work of what Jesus did. That, that sounds, no, that sounds gobbledygookish. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. We can draw near to God because of what Jesus did. Our righteousness is found in him. Now we actually have access to God. Now we can actually come into his presence. We couldn't before unless we did what? Went to the priest and offered sacrifices. The sacrifice was once for all. What did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus walking on the horizon? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Oh, he is perfect. He is righteous. He is holy. Verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath. They didn't take an oath, right? They were just born into it. But he with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and, you will, and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. What's the surety mean? A guarantee. Whoa, 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 wait, what? We're guaranteed through this better covenant? Why? Because in the first covenant, you had man keeping the law, God will bless you. Oh, bummer, can't keep it. In the second covenant, the new covenant, it's all on God. I will do it all. I'm going to let them off the hook. It's going to be grace. All they have to do is receive it. So what we're guaranteed. Isn't that awesome? Verse 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save 
to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Here is the verse that I believe in eternal security because he saves to the uttermost. I think it's Moody who used this to say that God saves from the gutter most. He's not saying that he saves like from the beginning of like where you're at. He's talking about something future to the uttermost, not from, but Jesus does say from the guttermost to the uttermost. In other words, your salvation is a done deal. And so when I read scriptures like this, this is why I struggle with once saved, always saved, eternal security, and can you lose your salvation? Right here, he saves to the other uttermost. What a, what a comfort of a scripture. Lord, I belong to you. Nothing can pluck me out of your hand. I'm yours forever, and you're going to save me to the uttermost? Woo! Woo! Okay, so what do I got to do? N- nothing, just receive it, enjoy it, and at least be grateful for it. And whatever that looks like to you, that looks like to you, but at least be grateful. Verse 29, or 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices. Notice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. What is he saying? You got these dudes who have to offer sacrifice for themselves before they can even go and serve God. They got to offer a sacrifice before they can enter into the Holy of Holies. What is missing in the Holy of Holies? It's interesting. I think when you get to chapter 10, you get the furniture. You know what's missing in the, in the Holy of Holies? A seat. Why? Because he's always got to be working. There's always something to do. Is there a seat in heaven where Jesus ascended to? He is seated at the right hand of God. Done finished isn't that what he cried on the cross tail torn from top to bottom and two down the middle i think they said it took i don't remember the number some ridiculous 200 and something priests to be able to carry the 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 curtain the veil to be able to set it up and right after that veil torn many priests gave their lives to jesus recognizing god's doing something here if he's given us access into this holy of holy, he just ripped this thing from top to bottom. That's just a neat little thing. Jump over to chapter 8. We're going to finish here. There's much that I did not comment on, much that I did not go over. These, ver- these chapters are rich, but I didn't want to bog down too much with... Um, man, you got to get into Leviticus, and you got to get into some Exodus and some Genesis. and It's all good, but it's, it's, it's almost just information overload. Okay, it's too much. Okay, I don't think I understood anything. All right, but I'm going to go home now. Okay, so let's just finish this chapter and we're going to see the application now. Okay, if you haven't gotten anything yet, the best is yet to come. Verse uh, one in chapter eight. Now this is the main point of the things which we are saying. Isn't that neat? He's going to tell us what the main point of what he's trying to say. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary, and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore it is necessary that this one, Jesus, also have something to offer. 
For if we, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. What he's saying is everything that Moses was told in the law was a picture of the true temple in heaven. Why would we go to the type, to the picture, to the shadow? Again, when we have the substance, verse 7, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, for the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to, the, to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. Here's our application. Why would we go to something that is no longer going to be able to be fulfilled? What's that? Huh. The book of Hebrews is written 60s AD. What happens in 70 AD? In Israel, the destruction of the temple. Is there a temple today to offer sacrifices? 2,000 years. It is being prophesied right here in the book of Hebrews in that last verse. Guys, don't you even know? You want to go back to a system where the system's not even going to exist in a couple years. You guys are looking to something because of tradition and nostalgia and your family and the warmies and the fuzzies. Guys, I'm letting you know that isn't going to exist anymore. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. So much so, God's going to let the temple wipe out. The temple that he wanted resurrected. So, a lot, a lot of information, a lot of stuff. Bottom line, how do we do what the book of Hebrews is warning them not to do. I think sometimes out of tradition and sometimes out of just, well, this is the way we've always done it. And this is kind of how we just do it. And if we don't do it like this and you're not part of our group and we're, God's always fresh and moving and just wanting to do new things in the world. Let's be open to that. Never, never taking away from the precious, you know, scriptures from the reality of what's truth and foundational but how God wants to work in a community, how God wa- wants to work amongst the people, be careful with what you insist on in your traditions. I don't think we have a lot of them, but I've seen them in churches. I've seen them in religion. I've seen them in different sets of, you know, 
Catholicism has a lot. Let's just say that. And we look at those things and it's like, I've seen people come out of Catholicism, give their heart to Jesus, they're born again, they're on fire for Jesus, and their family wants to disown them because they're not Catholics anymore. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're in love with Jesus. They found Jesus, they're born again. Why would you be mad at them? Ah, it's a cult. They went to a cult. No, it's not a cult. Jesus. One God revealed in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus died on the cross. That's the one they're looking to. Same thing as the Catholic Bible is teaching. No, that's not our tradition. We go to church where we don't even understand what that's being said. We sit down and stand up and sit down and stand up and sit down and stand up. Oh, that's interesting. Wow, that's weird. That is so weird. But I've seen that. So we hold on to these traditions because why? There's comfort in the tradition. May we never get comfortable in the moving of God, the Holy Spirit that just wants to, like a rushing wind, just move through the church. And he's always looking for individuals who are just wide open. Lord, may I be that individual that is wide open to what you want to do. And I don't care what people think. I want to see lost, saved. I want to see families restored. I want to see marriages strengthened. I want to see God do a work in these last days. And I don't care what people think. And I don't care what the traditionalists say. Lord, let's do it. How do you want to do that? in this world a lot of stuff for us again just uh, man what we have access to I, I think we don't realize the time that we got to be born in pretty incredible pretty incredible to be born under grace under the system of the new covenant to be able to have access to God some neat 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 blessings that we have access to and unfortunately I think we squander a lot of it we spend time in the presence of God that's a pretty awesome thing so be careful. Be careful not to watch your life go by and wonder. Because you're going to get to heaven and you're going to be in awe. You're going to be blown away. It's going to be like... And the thing that will blow you away more than the atmosphere of what's there is God. There's nothing that will be more impressive than God in heaven. And you will see why Isaiah said, Woe is me, I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people with unclean lips. My eyes have seen the Lord, and he said he was dust. He right? Saw the, Lord. saw the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah chapter 6. It's going to, everything will fail in comparison. I mean, to think of what we, I think the biggest thing that we probably spend our lives fighting for is what? Gold. God uses it as blacktop in heaven. It's it's, it's the street, you know? The street is made of gold. Jewels. Think about a, gate, a pearly gate, right? One pearl strung into a gate. Nothing, nothing. It fails in comparison to the glory of God. He provides the light for heaven. He is so illuminating. So, I mean, don't not, at least on a weekly basis, if you can't do it daily, Get away, alone, somewhere. Before you go into your house, sometimes when you go home from work, just stay in the car and just, Lord, visit with me. Fill me with your spirit. Just, those are neat, neat times, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are, Lord. We look forward to eternity. We look forward to spending time forever and ever with you. And even our experiences on earth with you, Lord, are tainted because we're in this, sinful shell but lord we can get away we can at any time we want lord come into your presence and so i just pray that we would take advantage of that and that we wouldn't be country bumpkins when we get to heaven with our jaws 
hitting the floor because we're amazed at the wonder of your glory. So give us those opportunities, Lord. Remind us and just continue to be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.